Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I've once again crossed paths with another heart-centered leader who lives in one of my favorite states in the U.S., New Jersey. Let me tell you a little bit about Glenn Parker. He is an author and a consultant, and he has worked with organizations to not only create but sustain high-performing teams, team-based systems, and overall effectiveness within the organization. His best-selling book, Team Players and Teamwork, was selected as one of the top 10 business books of 1990. It has been completely revised and updated and released a second edition, which was republished in 2008. And Glenn has sold more than 100,000 copies. So instead of me going on and on about this brilliant heart-centered leader, I'm going to welcome Glenn to the show and let's have a great conversation. So Glenn, thank you for spending time with me this morning. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Now I'm going to start off with my first leadership question for you, Glenn. And I know we're going to talk about your book, but let me find out how that book came to fruition. Who has been a positive influence in your life that has really helped hone your leadership? Well, uh, let me take you back uh, to actually my first job out of graduate school. My first boss, Larry, and actually my very first performance appraisal, performance evaluation meeting um, with Larry. So Larry actually thought I was doing a good job. And he was telling me throughout the the conversation that he liked what I did. And I should say parenthetically that uh, what I was doing was mostly research. I was looking things up and writing reports. And, you know, I was pretty good at that kind of stuff. You know, quite frankly, uh, on reflection, it was fairly boring work. But yeah, I was happy to be working. But we get to the point in the conversation where they, you talk about your development plan. What are you going to do going forward? And how can, um, in this case, Larry, help get me to that place? So he's, he asked me that question. And I had thought about it because I knew what was coming on the, on the form. And I noticed that the, the people across the hall that were doing leadership training seemed to be having a lot of fun. I mean, they were jumping on planes and traveling all over the U.S. and Canada, um, conducting leadership training and coming back with great stories, travel stories, hotel stories, but also class stories. And I thought, gee, that would be fun. And so I said to Larry, I think I'd like that, but I don't know. Can I observe a class? So he said, well, as a matter of fact, Glenn, next week I'm going down south to conduct some leadership training, and you can come with me, but I really can't justify your travel expenses unless you teach something. So my lips start to quiver, and but Larry, I, I 
don't know anything. And so <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. So he did, and I did, and I taught two hours on the second day of a two-day workshop, and I thought, ooh, I like this. It went well, and I said, ooh, I think I can do this, and that was kind of the, that completely changed the direction of my life, and from then on, that's how I got started in leadership training and development, and then went to organization development and team development and all of that sort of thing, but that little episode was absolutely significant in in my life and um, it went on from there. So, and I didn't realize at the time, I just thought, oh, this is nice. But on reflection, as I got a little smarter and started to think about these things, I said, gee. And the key thing about Larry, which is kind of interesting, Deb, is that he's just a guy. Nobody confused him with Tony Robbins. He was not the most charismatic person. But what, what I've learned since then, it doesn't matter. People can be a positive influence. They can be a heart-centered leader without all the charisma. Uh, and very often, those are the people that, in fact, have good interpersonal skills. They see where you're coming from. I guess the key thing is that he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and that was the game changer. So what, what about you? Have you ever had anybody in your life that had made that kind of an impact? I have, actually. You've been the first guest to ask me a question, and I've, I've interviewed 156 leaders. So it's a story that's near and dear to my heart. My dad passed away when I was in university. I was 21, and I had to withdraw. And I was lost, and my foundation became resilience. And I had to go to work. And I had a lot of technical skills. I knew DOS and Unix quite well, the operating systems before good old Windows. I had a wonderful technical boss. And I basically was the concierge for this technical group. I was the girl Friday. I was the receptionist. I was the admin assistant. I was the executive assistant. And the president used to call me once a day from this company. And he said, I just called because I love the way you answer the phone you do that for every single phone call? And I said, I do. So long story short, the company was restructuring and my position was being let go. And my boss, his name was Steve McClure. He was wonderful. And he said to me, we need to go for lunch today. And I have a couple of things to tell you. So he took me for lunch and he said, I have to let you go, but there is an opening at the branch. And he said, I don't think you're going to fit in very well, but just go and shine your light and be who you are and let's let it play out. But I don't think you're going to last. And that's exactly what happened. So I got to my three month mark and my boss's name was Nancy and I was the youngest in the branch. So the four women that I was working with were all twice plus my age. And here was this, you know, 23 year old long blonde hair, physically fit, gregarious, helpful. You're getting the picture here. Nancy pulls me in her office on my three-month review. And she said, this is just not working. And I could have fallen off my chair. I came in early. I stayed late. I was a team player. I was friendly. I was helpful. I kept my desk clean. 
And then Steve took me out for lunch again. Okay. And he said, you need to hear from me that you didn't lose the job because of who you were. You lost the job because the leader, your boss sees the leader in you and she doesn't know how to foster it. He said, please go and start your own business. And at 24, I started my own business. And at the end of May, it'll be 32 years. I just lost him three years ago to cancer. He was one of my mentors. He was a father figure. And I always think if he didn't have the courage to sit me down and say, just go take that leap of faith, you're a leader, you know, go and lead others. And I think my dad instilled the entrepreneur qualities in me because I watched my dad be a successful entrepreneur. So that's my story. That's a great story. And I, I think what you're, you're 24 years old and you're going into business for yourself. That's a big leap. And again, it seems like the same thing happened to you. He saw something in you that maybe at the time you didn't see in yourself. This is what I do. I'm at the desk. I'm answering phones. I'm helping out. I'm being a good team player. But no, and there was more there and he saw it. And that was a powerful message and a, you know, and a powerful story. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing it with us. No, thanks for asking me. You're the first. I always say it's fun to be different. So way to go, Glenn. Okay. okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked this question to every single guest and leader that I've interviewed. Share with us what imperfections Glenn brings to his heart-centered leadership. What imperfections I bring. I can be impatient. I like to um, get things done quickly, and sometimes not everybody else is on, on the same page as, as I am. And so I can be annoying at times. Well, I can tell you that you're in good company on the podcast. It's been one of the top imperfections we've talked about. And I think sometimes we're all a little impatient. I think it accompanies excitement of who we are and what we're doing. So it's a popular answer, Glenn. Okay, my third leadership question is, I would love to talk about your book, Positive Influence. Where did you get the grit and the heart? And just how did you know it was time to write and release this book? I had another experience. <laughs> um, a man who was another positive influence on me, he, he actually was a client of mine. I, I had already later in my career gone and become a consultant and he was a client of mine and was a client for about 20 years, which is in my field is kind of unusual to have someone that long. And he morphed into a friendship. You know, we got to know each other's families and the like. And I, I saw his organization go through a lot of transition. You know, I was, you know, part of that and converted to a team-based organization. So what happened, Deb, is that he's retired and we stayed in touch and we would go to lunch together and you know, catch up on things. And I got a notice, I got an email from someone saying, I knew he had been ill, that he had passed away and there was going to be a memorial for him on Sunday and I was invited. And I started thinking about his life and his impact on me. And I thought about all the things that he did. And again, an, another person, very smart person, you know, not charismatic, but I was brought in, I was the team consultant. And at a certain point he said, I want to do customer service training. 
almost everybody in my organization deals with some form of client, either on the phone directly or out in the field in person. And I said, okay, I really don't know that much about customer service. I have a network of people and I can bring someone in. He said, I want you to do it. So I did it and it worked out well and he was pleased with it. But what was going through his mind was not only did he want customer service, but he wanted customer service that was tailored to his organization. He didn't want something that was off the shelf, you know, a, a standard customer service program. He wanted something that was tailored to his particular organization and the type of work that they did and the type of interactions they did. So I did it. He got me to do customer service. Suddenly I was a customer service expert. Fast forward you know, a couple of years and he said, so I just heard that corporate has a business ethics class. Everybody in the organization has to go through. And he said, I know I'm not going to like it, but I know it's not going to be specific to my organization, the kind of ethical issues that my people deal with in the field. So he said, I want you to do it. I said, well, I don't really know that much about getting a pattern here, Death. I don't know that much about it. Because I always found that it's better to tell the truth than to say, you know, oh, I, I can do that. And so he said, you'll learn. I think it's probably something that you ought to get a lawyer to do. They, it's kind of a lot of it kind of borders on legal issues. He said, no, you'll, you'll learn. You'll do it. <laughs> so I did so I, so I learned a lot about it. And I became such an expert that a, a bunch of other companies were calling me to do business ethics training because I did it in a way that really hit home with people because I came up with scenarios. What would you do if, you know, you're, you're working in purchasing and someone says to you, oh, by the way, Glenn, I've got two tickets for the basketball game Friday night. You can have them if you like. No strings attached. What would you do in that situation? So that was, you know, the kind of dilemma that we would teach. And so I gave them certain principles around. And he did that, you know, a couple of other times. And then the last time he said to me, Glenn, you know, um, I know that the senior, the leadership team wants to do team building. They want to do an offsite. So I, he said, I'm going to recommend you. I said, okay, well, that was something I, I thought I, I could do. But uh, I had never worked at the top of the house before. And so... Uh, he said, okay, I have an appointment. I'm going to go meet with the, the leadership team and they're going to ask me questions. I'm going to tell them what I would do and so on. I said, do you have any advice? He said, yeah, don't screw it up. <laughs> so, so I went, so I did the offsite and this was back in the days before cell phones. So it, I finished up like seven o'clock on a Friday night and it went well. And I, I knew him well enough that I had his home phone. So seven o'clock on Friday night, I call him in his house. Fortunately, he answered the phone. He said, hi. I said, hi, it's me. I didn't screw it up. I hung the phone up. So anyway, so I came back and I said, that guy was such a positive influence on me. He got me to do things I had never done before and never dreamed I could do. So I came home and I talked to Michael, my son. He works in financial services, manages a large team himself. And he, he's up on the literature and he knows leadership training and management development. He's gone through a lot of himself and he reads in the field. And I said, I'm thinking about writing a book on leaders who were a positive influence. He said, I'd read that book. And I said, well, how'd you like to write that book with me? He said, oh, I would love it. And that's how he came to do this book. Oh, and then what we happened is that we started to interview people 
And we asked them the same kind of questions that you just asked me, who was a positive influence? And, you know, we're trying to look for a profile. What is it about these people? They have such a profound influence on other people. What I love about the story is I feel like writing this book with your son really gives tribute to your legacy. And then in writing about all your positive influences and find me a human being on this planet who doesn't want to be seen, heard, valued and validated, especially when someone can see something in you that you don't see. And to me, I think that's the greatest lesson and gift and trajectory that we can all have as leaders. And I think it's part of becoming a heart-centered leader because when you have that visceral level of self-awareness, that's the foundation to being a heart-centered leader. So what a beautiful story, but more importantly, one of my favorite phrases that I coined from my Irish Nana, you have such a beautiful heirloom memory with your son. And that to me is priceless. Yes, we liked it so much and it got so well-received. We're actually doing a second book. I mentioned that to you. We're doing a book on leadership in a time of crisis and interviewed a lot of people so far. And so we have a lot of, a lot of, a lot more stories about how the leaders have coped with this crisis. And it's been a very profound experience. So, Well, you don't know my next question, but it's serendipitous and alignment for my fourth leadership question is share with us some insight on how leaders are performing during these continued unprecedented times. What do you want to share with us what you've observed? There's an old phrase, originally it was attributed to Benjamin Franklin, out of adversity comes opportunity. And so what we found is that there's been a tremendous amount of innovation during this time because people have been forced to innovate, to deal with the situation because, you know, it's not business as usual. And so we know the history of a lot of this, which is 1918, you have this flu epidemic, which was devastating. And out of that came a whole development of public health measures to deal with not only the flu, but other public health. Public health became a thing after that. And then later, there was the development of measles and mumps and eventually polio vaccines that came out of this. And during this time, with all the rhetoric and all the misinformation and disinformation and tribalism that's going on now, we forget that we had a tremendous example of particularly public-private innovation during this time in the development of these vaccines. In 10 months, we developed very, very highly efficacious uh, vaccines, two of them that were very highly uh, effective and one that was highly effective. And we're still doing more of that. And in unprecedented time, 10 months was unheard of. I worked a lot of my life in the pharmaceutical industry and drug development takes much, much longer than that. So it's been absolutely fantastic. But we've had, even at the specific business level, we've had a lot of innovation. For example, uh, a gentleman, Mike, uh, who is the CEO of a company that owns 21 Red Robin restaurants, and they manage these restaurants. And of course, restaurants were very, very hard hit. And he said prior to the, the pandemic that all of these restaurants competed with each other to be the best in the group. And I guess, you know, kind of leadership sort of fostered some of that competition. They thought it was healthy. During this time, that stopped. 
and they started sharing best practices. And as a result, there was much more collaboration because somebody learned something that one of the restaurants did, you know, and how to deal with customers and reduce the size of the menu and, and how to staff the, the places. And as a result, going forward, they're going to be more collaborative and as a result, be more innovative because of this collaboration. I interviewed the general manager of a Marriott Courtyard Hotel. And he said, because we're part of a national or international brand, we have to follow certain rules. During this time, he said, we started to question the rules. We started to ask, how does this help our employees be safe and healthy? And how does it serve our guests better? And they started to question those things. And they did. He gave me some examples of things that they did. One of the most famous ones was uh, in New York City, which was, you know, the, the hospital system was just overwhelmed at the beginning of the pandemic. And as a result, they needed hospital beds. The Javits Center, which is a big convention center in New York City, housing, you know, trade shows and other major conventions. Nobody's coming to a trade show during the pandemic. They were basically shut down. Well, they got together and collaborated with the Army Corps of Engineers, who they have all kinds of experience in building field hospitals. And within about a week to 10 days, they built a 2,500-bed hospital within the Javits Center. And it it was just a phenomenal example of, again, public-private cooperation and innovation to get things done. Much more communication going on. Communication ramped up. The leaders started to communicate more with the employees and opened the doors to communication from employees back to leaders. Leaders started doing things like the old, this used to be such a fashionable thing called management by walking around. You remember that? (laughs) So now managers started walking around. They were walking the floors of the hospital and saying to people, what do you need? How can I help? What's going on? How are you faring? Do you need help? We've got psychologists here. We've got ministers here that can help with counseling. I interviewed the COO of Amtrak. He and the leadership team were walking the platforms. They were riding the trains, trying to find out what was going on and what people needed. And they were pitching in. Somebody was not able to show up for work. They were you know, helping uh, passengers. Those kinds of things were going on. Getting a little exercise here, but very enthused by what I've learned here. Well, I, I love the positive light that you're shedding on the pandemic and how we've continued to unprecedented times. And, you know, that is where my mindset goes to. We can sit and talk till the sun goes down about everything that hasn't worked, but there's just as many stories and examples and exemplary heart-centered leaders around the globe doing phenomenal work. And that's the lane that I choose to stay in as well. So congratulations for having that open dialogue and showcasing those people. And it's exciting. And I, I'm glad that you're out there doing that heart-centered work. And it just, it, it warms my heart, Glenn. I'm going to switch to my fab four. I'm going to ask you four quick questions and we want to know what's sitting on top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. I love basketball. I played it as a kid. I'm still a huge fan. I follow the Philadelphia 76ers. I live and die and bleed green because of that. I love that. Okay, second question. Tell us 
the most favorite book you've ever read and what lasting impression that it left on you? A woman named um, Rosabeth Moss Cantor wrote a book called The Change Masters. And, um, and in, in that book, you may know she was a Harvard professor. She was, then became the editor of the Harvard Business Review. And in that book, she said something that has been a driving force. And, and I know, Deb, now that I've gotten to know you here in the past few minutes that you're going to relate to this. She said, everything looks like a failure in the middle. You start out with a lot of enthusiasm and you get to the, and then the barriers and the obstacles and you go, oh my God, the change masters, we would call them an effective leader, the heart centered leader pushes through around over, figures out how to get through those obstacles to the end. A more recent book called Grit, the idea, Angela Duckworth's book about resilience, People who, uh, and I think the most successful people, the most successful leaders are people that have resilience. They can deal with obstacles. They can deal with problems and they can overcome them. They find ways to work around them. I've talked to Michael, my son, about this many times, and he feels the same way that part of his success in life is been able to, to deal with obstacles and just being resilient. Everything looks like a failure in the middle. One of my heart-centered leadership qualities that I have in my model is to be a heart-centered leader, just embracing that ability to fail forward. And fail is never the final word. Like you said, it's the messy middle. So what a, what a beautiful way of framing that. I love it. Failure is not the opposite of success. It's a point on the road to success. Okay, my third question is, I can't wait to hear your answer to this one. If you could have dinner with any leader in the world who is living or maybe has passed away, who is it and why? Uh, I'm going to say Martin Luther King Jr. When I was a very, very young man, I met him. Uh, I was with a group of people who met him, but I was so junior that I didn't get a chance to have a conversation with him. And it was almost like, meeting the most famous basketball player of all time, I was, you know, my jaw dropped because he was such a hero of mine. I had been active as a student in the civil rights movement. And so I, I was just overcome. But the reason that I would want to talk to him is because of his singular focus, a singular focus on equal rights and particularly on voting rights, because he understood that getting the right to vote was key to so, unlocking so many other opportunities for people. And that singular focus, because he could be, because he was so famous and so charismatic, be pulled in a lot of different directions and people wanted to pull him in a lot of directions. But I admire um, him and I admire people that have that singular focus. He's definitely been mentioned on the show before. I think a lot of people feel the same sentiments as you and it would definitely be a, a stimulating dinner conversation to, to sit with him and just hear his mindset and his goals, but his legacy leaves on and here he is being the answer to who you'd like to sit with. So that's beautiful. So before I end the show, uh, I want to say that it's been delightful to cross paths with you. I look forward to meeting Michael and I want to congratulate you on your book. 
And I'm always gratefully humble that people want to spend time and share their expertise and their heart with me on the show. And you have something special that you'd like to offer our listeners. So what do you want to share with them today? Our book, the first book that's out, it's called Positive Influence, The Leader Who Helps People Become Their Best Self. The first five people that email me, and I'll give you the address in in a second, I will send a complimentary copy. Perhaps it'll be signed as well. And you can reach us at our website, which is thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. So you can simply email me, Glenn, which is G-L-E-N-N, at thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. Don't forget, of course, to put your mailing address in the email <laughs> so that we can, we can mail it to you and it'll be, be sent out by the publisher. I want to thank you. I haven't had any guests be so gracious and generous and heart-centered with their books. So just to repeat, and we'll put this in the podcast episode description as well, www.thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. And the first five listeners that email Glenn will get a signed copy of their new book. So thank you for your generosity. You're welcome. So Glenn, we're going to close out the show with question number four, and I'd like you to finish this sentence for me, if you would. Heart-centered leadership is? Helping people become their best self. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.